Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Mosley. And I want to let you know about my new immersive BBC Radio 4 podcast series, Deep Calm. It's all about how to tap into and activate a remarkable system that we all have hardwired inside of us, our relaxation response. And it's been developed to be listened to at any time you want to really unwind. I hope you'll listen wherever you get your BBC podcasts. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. On this Memorial Day, we bring you a story that's just been declassified by the U.S. military. It's the tale of a larger-than-life pro wrestler and the soldiers he trained in how to be American. SI senior writer John Wertheim takes it from here. I came across a story uh, by happenstance, as so often happens. I was doing a piece for 60 Minutes on, on the Ritchie Boys. The Ritchie Boys are really this remarkable unit of German speakers, primarily some Italian speakers as well, who not only spoke the language, but knew the subtleties and the sports teams and the, the comic books. They really had a grasp of the culture, which made them really good spies and interrogators. But in the course of the research, it was just sort of, you know, a sentence in a book. The great hand-to-hand -hand combat instructor at Camp Ritchie was a prominent professional wrestler. Who was this prominent professional wrestler in the first half of the 20th century who ended up in this secretive camp? Camp Ritchie was, and, and for that matter, is a resort in the Blue Ridge Mountains right on the Maryland side of the state line with Pennsylvania. In World War II, it was used as 
a special interrogation center. The U.S. military realized you had a lot of German and Italians, especially German Jews who'd fled the Nazis, come to the U.S., and they still knew the dialect, they knew the culture, they spoke fluent German. Hey, this could be really valuable in this war, both at home and abroad. So all of a sudden, Army base was set up. It was for uh, the least likely soldiers imaginable, which were uh, German and Italian-speaking immigrants who, who now obviously were loyal to the United States. A lot of these guys came with with musical instruments in their books. They had never held knives or fired rifles in their life. And there was a rumor floating around the camp that uh, a professional wrestler or an actor was going to teach them hand-to-hand combat. This would be like showing up for basic training and, hey, this guy, The Rock, might be our instructor tomorrow. They realized it really was this professional wrestler, Man Mountain Dean, when they saw a guy trying to make a call from a payphone, but only his arm could fit into the booth. It was against that backdrop that these uh, unlikely soldiers realized that yes, this famous professional wrestler really was gonna be their hand-to-hand combat instructor at Camp Ritchie. Frank Levitt was born in Hell's Kitchen, not necessarily a pro wrestling hotbed. His father worked in the theater district just a few blocks away. He was a very, very large child who was uh, always mistaken for many years older than he was. He also was this great patriot. So as soon as he was eligible, and even beforehand, uh, the story goes, he recruited a, a, quote, Bowery bum to pose as his father and enlist him and ended up serving in the military um, before World War I and then during World War I. He played in the fledgling National Football League. In the NFL, there's a story that he, he pancaked Jim Thorpe And then he discovered professional wrestling, which was just starting to come of age. And he really took to it. I think part of it was the sport, but part of it was the theatrics, the selling, the touring, and thus began a a fairly prominent professional wrestling career. He quit, became a beat cop. Frank Levitt was friends with Al Capone. Of course he was. Frank Levitt was serving on the Miami police force, but he becomes friendly with uh, Al Capone. They had friends in in common, and you could actually find old Miami Herald articles saying popular officer Frank Levitt booted off the force because of his friendship with Al Capone. This was covered by all the South Florida newspapers. One effect is that it ended up sort of reviving his professional wrestling career. He couldn't be a a cop in Miami. That's a pretty good job. He met his wife that way, but he couldn't be a cop in Miami anymore. What am I going to do? Well, maybe it's time to rethink this professional wrestling, and it really... uh, propelled him to go back into pro wrestling, and that's when he really had this this big career break. These are the early days of professional wrestling, but even then you know you needed a nickname. His first nickname was the Hell's Kitchen Hillbilly. If you've been to Hell's Kitchen, it, it is a lot of things, but a fertile basin of hillbillies, it is not. So that didn't really catch on. We often say this in sports writing, oh, this is a character right out of Runyon. In this case, there really was a connection to Runyon, that they knew each other, and it was Damon Runyon who suggested the next nickname for Frank Levitt, which was Stone Mountain, named after a town in Georgia. Not bad, but that didn't really catch on. At one point, he went by Man Mountain Levitt, which was his real last name, but Frank Levitt's wife shrewdly decided that Levitt, a Semitic-sounding last name, even though Frank Levitt was not Jewish, Levitt might not play well in uh, in Nazi Germany, where he was touring at the time. So finally, uh, Man Mountain Man Mountain Dean, which um, sounds less Semitic than Man Mountain Levitt, I suppose. Man Mountain Dean 
ended up being a very prominent professional wrestler in the first half of the 20th century. At one point, he was making $1,500 per match, which was more than the annual per capita income in the United States. There are records of more than a thousand documented matches all over the world. But no, this is one of the prominent wrestlers of the first half of the 20th century, no doubt. As his body gets older, he realizes he could also make a very nice living as an actor and a stuntman. So he's in a number of films. Remember, he has this theater background. So not only does he have this appreciation for theatrics, but he also has a number of connections. So he, he rises very quickly in Hollywood. World War II breaks out. He's in his 50s, too old to be on the front lines. But remember, this is a loyal patriot. He enlists and he is assigned. What, what are we going to do with this guy? It's this big celebrity. He's a World War I veteran. Why don't we make him an instructor at Camp Ritchie? And that's how you have this uh, incredibly unlikely marriage. Think about this. You're 19, 20, 21 years old. You, you fled the Nazis. Your life has been completely destabilized. It's thrown into chaos. Now you want to go back and fight the Nazis. You're in this, this country, you're trying to assimilate, but you have an accent, you, you have a name that isn't particularly common, and here you have this celebrity, movie star, wrestler, celebrity, and he gets it. So what does he do? He slings his arm over Gustav and says, from now on, you're Gus. And I think he really understood that these were young men in a very precarious time who were going to carry out and execute this patriotic duty for this new country against their old country, having been expelled. And he really helped, not just with their sort of morale at the time as, as young soldiers, but in their Americanization. Who knew that the, uh, the Ritchie boys included, uh, there was a Rockefeller, there was J.D. Salinger. Remember the Fodor's guides? Uh, Fodor was a Ritchie boy. These were intellectuals that spoke language, knew German culture, and could help the U.S. military. And a lot of them... You know, they showed up at Normandy. I mean, they, they weren't just brought into the interrogation tent after the battle. I mean, these guys, a lot of they were on the landing crafts at Normandy, the same as thousands and thousands of other GIs. It was all very secretive, which is one reason why it's taken so long for this to come out. This was classified, but this was a very, very effective branch. And the battlefield intelligence that these Ritchie boys gathered on, on the Western Front, starting in Normandy, but Battle of the Bulge and... Uh, throughout Europe up until the liberation of the camps, even through Nuremberg, these Ritchie boys really played a very, very prominent role in, uh, in, in World War II. It was just all under wraps. And a lot of these Ritchie boys, they would go on to basically serve in the CIA. I mean, in some ways, this was really ground zero for, for U.S. espionage in the Cold War. He retires from wrestling and becomes this, this stuntman, but plenty of downtime. Well, what is he going to do? Among other things, he begins studying journalism. Man Mountain Dean passed away in the, in the early 50s. I ironically enough, his obit was written by Edwin Pope, who uh, would go on to become you know, a longtime sports editor of the Miami Herald and this sort of towering figure in sports journalism. Edwin Pope was at the time, I'm sure, the summer intern. This was a guy with a diversity of interests, fiercely patriotic, but I also think the fact that he was well-read and had this background in Broadway and theater and Journalism, I think that's probably what made him well-liked and so effective as an instructor with these young, young soldiers who were from a different country. They were half his size. They were half his age. But what everybody says is like, once you got past the, hey, this guy's really famous, there really was this connection between 
these Camp Ritchie, you know, as soldiers in quotes, because they really weren't really combat soldiers, but there was a real connection between the celebrity and these young immigrants that were now going to serve in the U.S. military. There was a real connection there. And they all spoke fondly of him, not as a celebrity, but as someone that they really bonded with. And 75 years later, they still remember the, the stories and the wisdom he gave them. And I think his background, so diverse, traveling the world from Manhattan, living in Georgia farmland, I think that's one reason he was able to connect with these 19, 20, 20-year-old 20 intellectuals sent to Camp Ritchie so well. The Ritchie boys were phenomenally successful and courageous, and now they're finally getting their due. There have been a number of awards that these guys have gotten late into their 90s, which is, is really gratifying. One of the guys, I think, was 99 now, now has hit 100. He's still with us. And they still, with real specificity, they still remember the conversations and the nicknames and the anecdotes and the snoring. I mean, they still really have these very sharp memories of, of Man Mountain Dean 75 years later. This is really a remarkable guy. I mean, I, and I didn't know anything about him, but uh, Man Mountain Dean was a real patriot. I, I, we roll our eyes when we hear the word hero, but I, I defy you to sort of read his story and then use another uh, term to characterize him. And I, I also think this is um, a group, because this was all classified, these Richie Boy stories haven't been told, but you go back and you talk to the experts, or I talked to a professor at West Point, so listen, more than half the battlefield intelligence on the Western Front was generated from Ritchie Boys. These were really unsung heroes of World War II. And I would submit that their uh, hand-to-hand combat instructor that, you know, yes, he, he taught them how to disarm a man of his knife and some, but I also think just the socialization and the fact that this guy made them comfortable and made them sort of understand American culture. He's really a prominent figure in the story as well. John Wertheim wrote the daily cover, Uncle Slam's Secret Army, which also appears in the magazine. You'll find a link in our show notes. Sports Illustrated Weekly is a production of Sports Illustrated and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. And for more of Sports Illustrated's best stories and podcasts, visit SI.com. This special episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly was produced by our senior producer, Dan Bloom. Our sound engineer is Isaac Lee. Our executive producers are Scott Brody and me, John Gonzalez. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Thanks for listening, and our regularly scheduled episode of Sports Illustrated Weekly will be in your feed, per usual, on Wednesday.